As I said, we're going to um, finish our journey through the book of Exodus today. And um, this is one of those sermons that has me a little bit freaked out. So if you are the interceding type, I would love for you to pray for me as uh, we work our way through this. Um, you'll see why as we go through it. I don't want to you know, freak you out too much by saying too much off the top. But you know, this, is not, um, this is not an easy sermon by any stretch. You always know when Pastor Todd brings his um, Bible from when he was 15 to help him that he's uh, really freaked out. That's my Bible from when I was 15 years of age, and I preached with it exclusively for about 20 years until it began falling apart. So, I've been hoping to encourage you to take 12 steps to freedom as we worked our way through Exodus to begin 2021. In week one, we took step one, which is to remember that God's hand is upon you. Week two was step two, which is to remember that God is involved. He hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Week three, I encourage you to take step three, which is to listen and let it happen. The hook here is that God is the action hero. Listen to him and let him do what only he can do. Week four, I urge you to let your belief lead you into action. Week five was an encouragement to dig deep because if your life is anything like mine, you know that it tends to get worse before it gets better. Week six, I encourage you to take step six, which is to remember that God promises we obey. This is to hold in your heart the true order of things, the way life is actually constituted. God is the one who promises, we are the ones who obey. Week seven kind of borrowed on the theme from week six, where I reminded you that the more you obey, the easier life gets. I know that, that might be hard to believe, but I just want to invite you to experiment with it. Add more obedience to your life and see what happens. The more you obey, the easier life gets. Week eight, we took step eight, which is to choose wisely. In week nine, I had the opportunity to remind you that I am the problem, that you are the problem, that we collectively are the problem, that we are Pharaoh. Week 10, I urge you to consider whether your way of life is a way that is walking in darkness or in the lights. Week 11, last week, I urged you to make a plan and stick to it. This week we come to step 12, which is to uh, make sure that you're building on the right foundation. I found some pretty foundational truths for you this week in Exodus 12, and this is a long chapter. It's 51 verses. So if you're visiting with us today, and this will be the first time you've ever heard a pastor read an entire chapter of Scripture, this is a good indoctrination for you because it is 51 verses. You're like, wow, this is my kind of church. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its heads with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Passover starts today in Judaism, by the way. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer into your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your children forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians that spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight. The Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone. And please bless me. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses had told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. 
And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. This is an absolutely horrifying and unpreachable chapter, but for Jesus. So my goal here will be to turn Exodus 12 completely on its head out of homage for the Christ. So since we're talking about foundations, let me remind you of the most important verse in all the New Testament when it comes to foundation. And it is this, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 11. The point you need to keep in mind here as you wrestle with this horrible chapter is that Jesus is the key. Jesus is the key. And so I will point out these foundational truths from Exodus chapter 12, interpreted and applied through Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Because I am a Christian preacher after all. And this is a church of Jesus Christ. First foundational truth is that we have one fresh start. Verse 2 This month shall be for you the beginning of years. The Exodus is a radical new beginning for the people of God. It's so radical, in fact, that the Exodus institutes a new new year. This month shall be for you the beginning of years. It is a definitive new beginning. And when I say those words, definitive new beginning, I hear echoing in my heart the words of 2 Corinthians 5. Perhaps they're echoing in your heart also. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. So in light of Exodus 12 this morning, let me ask you this pointed question. How's your fresh start going? 
The deep challenge to the Christian is to live the entirety of their life as if it is a new year. As if it is one ongoing fresh start. How's your fresh start going? If you find yourself lacking in that area, if you find yourself settling into routine for its own sake, if you find that you have left your first love, let me call you back to Jesus today, who is the key, because he is the one lamb and the one door. It's the second deep foundational truth here. Here's where I cracked the sermon, by the way. I didn't get to this point till my second pass through the text. So I'd read it, I'd transcribed it, I'd done one exegetical pass, and it wasn't until my second exegetical pass that verse 3, part B, stood up and punched me in the side of the head. A lamb for a household. And then verse 7, part B, and pour the blood on the doorposts. And here's what hit me. Soon as I read one lamb for one house, I thought of you the household of God. And I thought of your one lamb, Jesus Christ. And then I heard echoing in my heart the words of John the Baptist as recorded in John chapter 1. Behold, the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. And just in case you never heard that story before, he said that when he saw Jesus approaching him to be baptized. Beholds the Lamb. Friends, Jesus is the one Lamb who's made you into the household of God. And where am I going with the door? Do any of God's saints know where Pastor Todd is going with the one door? Wave at me if you know where I'm going with the one door. I'm serious. Yeah, you know where I'm going with the one door. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. Jesus speaking about himself in John chapter 10, verse 9. And when you think about the symbolism at play here in Exodus 12, we'll receive it, church. It's not just a door. It's a bloody door. Behold, the one lamb. The one blooded door. Here's the point. Jesus is your expiation. Expiation is a theology term. It refers to the covering of sin. The putting aside of sin. And always when you come to the term expiate or expiation in Scripture, it involves the shedding of blood. Jesus is your expiation. He is your one lamb, and Jesus is your door to life. He's also um, the one merciful judge. This is the third deep foundational truth out of Exodus 12. Hear the words of verses 12 through 13. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here we have the most difficult paradox in Christian living. 
Here we see a picture of the merciful judge. And if you find this difficult, I say touche. Everyone in my family finds this difficult. Everyone of my friends finds this difficult. Every person I've ever led into the family of God finds this difficult. The merciful judge. How do we know that he's merciful? Well, we remember perhaps the words of Hebrews 8, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. How do we know that he's judged? Well, because we remember the words of Revelation 19. I read these to you but a few weeks ago. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat upon him was called faithful and true. Here it is. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. This is always the problem I have with my wife. She has a hard time with Jesus as the judge. And so, hon, when I wrote this, I thought of you. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is how difficult this is. It is right that he executes judgment. For the sake of time, I won't go into a hermeneutic on that, but if you ever want to send me an email, I'll be happy to walk you through that. He's the merciful judge. What is the point for us? The point is this. Hear me now carefully. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus, but you do need to come to him. Have you bowed the knee to the merciful judge? You should. Why? Because of your one need of a death killer. Foundational truth number four. We come to this in verse 23. The death killer. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. Here it is. And will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses or to strike you. I don't know if you've looked around at the world that surrounds us lately. But I think if you do, you will discover instantly that the destroyer is real. How many of you have friends with destroyed marriages? Or kids who've been destroyed as they enter into young adulthood? How many people do you know whose livelihoods have been destroyed? How many people do you know in whom hope has been destroyed? The destroyer is real. This is why I am more a fan of the merciful judge than I am of the chic, hippie, kinder, gentler Jesus. Because perhaps like you, I have faced death and I have endured the ravages of the destroyer. And I have learned that when facing the destroyer, I need the death killer to come to my rescue. That's who I need. I need someone who holds the keys of death and hell. I need someone who is strong medicine. Now this I say, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Let me urge you to make sure that you get the strong medicine that you need. And that medicine is named Jesus. And when it begins to work, remember that you have one story to be shared, the fifth foundational point. A story to be shared, friends, this is clear as mud. We see this in the text in verses 26 through 27. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, this is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. When your kids ask you someday, Dad, why do you keep presenting yourself as a living sacrifice? Quoting Romans chapter 12. Mom, why do you always keep laying your life down for your friends? You know what that father and that mother say to that young one? Oh, receive it, church. They say to their children, because Jesus has saved me. And I am not shy to say that I believe there is a lack of family evangelism in our age in Christendom. Because there is a lack in our age in Christendom of the kind of desperation that is absolutely biblically typical when God's people awaken to their need of Him. When a real sinner is really set free, the result is radical love and an evangelistic urge that cannot be stopped. For those who have been forgiven much, love much. Luke 7, 47. So listen, I ask you hard questions because I care about you and I care about your destiny. Have you been doing any storytelling lately? The kind of storytelling that really matters. But Todd, nobody's interested. Well, I just want to say that there's at least a chance that nobody's interested because we have not been pointing out the proper hook. There are many counterfeit hooks that are currently popularized in Christendom. And today is not a sermon about that. But if you're wondering, okay, then what is the right hook? What is the proper hook? The proper hook is this. And when I mean hook, I mean that thing with which you capture the interests of your peers in things eternal. That thing that you use to capture the interests of your peers in all things Jesus. You know what that hook is? That hook is the sixth deep foundational truth that I found in Exodus chapter 12. And that is one big problem called death. I find this in verses 29 through 30. I'll try not to fall apart this time. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. My dear friends, have you ever heard a more apt description of our present culture than verse 30? 
for there was not a house in which someone was not dead. Everybody you know is dealing with death in some form. I don't even need to prove it to you. You know it's true. So friend, would you lead them to life? But Todd, they're going to ask me, where was God? Where was God when death came knocking? You know what we tell them now? In the wake of the cross and the empty tomb? We tell them God was on the cross. You see, we so quickly forget what the cross really means. We get lulled into thinking that Jesus was killed as a dissident, as a rebel. When in fact he was put upon the cross by the Father's will. And it was the Father's will to crush the Son. To punish the Son in your place for your sin. And not just for your sin, but for the sins of the world. This means that every evil act ever committed throughout the history of humankind was laid upon the Christ at the cross, and He bore the penalty for all of those sins. So when your friend asks you, where was God when death came knocking, you can tell them with full confidence that God was on the cross when death came knocking. And it killed him. Because Jesus Christ yielded up his soul, yielded up his spirit, and he breathed his last. And the king of glory died. He died. You're thinking, Todd, they're not churchy people. Even if they do believe me, they're not going to fit in. So as I close here, let me read you a couple things by way of a last-ditched attempt to invite you to kiss your churchy exclusivism goodbye once and for all. First, let me read to you out of our source text, beginning at verse 37 through 38. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot, about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. Here it is. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. Now let's jump down to verses 43 through 49. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover, for no foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised shall ever eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. So let me point out these few things as I close, and I do have a few more things to read. Because I really hope to make this point in such a way that it changes your life and your approach to your Christianity. First, 
I want to point out that with the 600,000 men, their families, their children, their flocks, and their herds came a mixed multitude. You should be hearing warning bells of where Pastor Todd is going with this. I want to point out that when it comes to the instructions for the Passover, that no foreigner may eat of it. I hope you're hearing warning bells. I want to point out that there is one uncompromising law applied to the native and the foreigner. And the implication is, if you're not native, you're out. If you're not in, you're out. Except for Acts 10, thank God. Oh, thank God for Acts 10, where Cornelius, a Roman centurion from the city of Caesarea, has a vision where God tells him to call Peter to come and preach to him. Cornelius is perplexed. He has no idea who this is. Meanwhile, 50 kilometers south in the city of Yafo, which is part of modern-day Tel Aviv, Peter is on the roof in the cool of the day, and there he has his very famous, all these non-kosher things are now kosher visions, which he does not understand until the Lord explains to him what God has made clean, do not call common. This occurs in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. Peter is perplexed by this. He doesn't understand what it means until Cornelius' men show up and they urge him to come to their master's house. Two days later, he arrives at Cornelius' house. He walks into the house, and this is what Peter the Jew raised on these tales of exclusivity says. You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I ask then, for what reason have you sent to me? And they say, to him, O Peter, would you preach to us the gospel? Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Did you hear that? Whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem whom they killed by hanging on a tree whom God raised up the third day showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will have remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those who were of the circumcision, the Jewish believers were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then he, they asked him to stay a few days. And the believers were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. 
Acts 10, 45, which reminds me that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 28, which sounds an awful lot like, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy said Peter to a bunch of European Romans in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, which leads me to, I got to do it. I know time is short, but I kind of don't care. It's Palm Sunday and Ephesians 2 is just that glorious. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now now somebody shout, at least in your heart, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new humanity from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Therefore now you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together as a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. I mean, somebody help me and say hallelujah in this house. Because you are the mixed multitude. And there is no place for you in Exodus 12 as it was originally written. But oh hallelujah, the mixed multitude is the people of God now and the injunction against foreigners has been nailed to the cross. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And this Jewish law that lets some in and keeps others out is poppycock, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments or contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new humanity from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. There is no us and them anymore. There is no secret list of rules you have to abide by if you want to come to dinner. Am I right? I'm right. How do I know that I'm right? Not because I'm right, because the scripture clearly says, come unto me all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew 11:20. 20. And the spirit and the bride say come, and let him who hears say come, and let those who thirst say come. Whoever desires, let them take of the water of life freely, Revelation 22:17. Or maybe we should let the prophet speak. And I plan to read you the whole chapter but I will instead just read you the few first few verses. Hear the words of Isaiah 55, as if everything that has gone before has not been more than enough. Ho, everyone who thirsts, 
come to the water. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is an open invitation into new life. This is an open invitation into freedom. So remember, remember, remember that God's hand is upon you, that he is involved, he hears, he remembers, he sees, he knows. Listen and let it happen because God is the action hero. Let your belief lead you into action. Dig deep because life gets worse before it gets better. Remember that God promises we obey and that the more we obey, the easier life gets. So choose wisely. Remember that you are the problem, I am the problem and ask yourself, Am I living in darkness or in the light? And then make a plan and stick to it and make sure finally that you're building on the right foundation for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 3.11. So let's leave the broken land behind and let's go home having taken 12 steps to freedom.